Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as Shuggy Two Sheds. I'm Shuggy tonight. Uh, coming to you from the well-known to health inspectors Winchester building in the downtown metropolis area. Today, today Rob. Today? Today we start, I get Ooh, a feeling that, today. Every, that every time your voice comes in, people go, oh. Uh, he is God. there. <laughs> he, Gary keeps saying he's going to get the monkey. Oh, is he full of it? <laughs> Why doesn't he start <laughs> looking around? So today we start a two-part series on uh, a couple of great musicians who recently passed away. These are episodes which we have to do to pay uh, homage to these, but we don't like to do them because <laughs> no. they've, they've passed away and we don't want them to be gone. We can't do shows on people who are just being born. Please oh, see, continue. That's, that's why we get letters uh, <laughs> from people saying, and I knew where's that, the monkey? I knew that would stop you. It didn't stop me. It, it stopped. It just, it, it, it just made me reinforce the monkey motive. <laughs> the monkey's coming. <laughs> the monkey's coming. The monkey's on the train. He's on his way okay. here. Okay. Uh, on this episode, we look at the not very well known, but still amazing musician and songwriter Emmett Rhodes and his 1970 self-titled debut album. And uh, if you're looking for a feel-good story out of Emmett Rhodes' biography, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, and then we will, and, and in just a few minutes, just, just minutes away, Rob, minutes. I'm hoping we get back to the thing we were doing last week. We will be, cont- see, if he, would just, if he would just wait, instead of interrupting like a horse's patoot, in just a few minutes, we will be continuing from our last episode, our take on the last year of the Beatles. Oh, goody. 1970, to be exact. This is the 50th anniversary of the breakup of the Beatles and also the 50th anniversary of the film Let It Be and the album Let It Be, their last album. The last album released. The last studio album. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the non-studio albums. Sorry, I tried to freak Rob out by just staring at him. Uh, It can't be done. (laughs) But right now, it's time, as usual, for for Odds and Ends. Lost time is not found again. Uh, And this week, I actually have two things. I have to really... Go through them quickly. I got to do them quickly because I feel that the Beatles story is still quite a telling. If it's, you don't mind. And I want to talk about well. Emmett Rhodes quite a bit too. So, Ika. Okay. We need to invent time. I just want to quickly comment on odds and ends this week. Last time it's not found again. Is that uh, on a quick comment on Rolling Stone online, now making everybody angry pay to read their stories. <laughs> really? Now... As a person who uses Rolling Stone a lot for background work for this show, and I'm talking about not just recent news, but going back like the, the things old, that the read. old issues that because you can, uh... well not yeah because it's online. I mean I got the old issues, but 
I'm talking about easily looking it up on the internet and saying, oh, Rolling Stone and... Uh, oh, yeah, because you can uh, cross-reference on the uh, Right, the I can cross-reference, and it's very easy. But they took that away, too. I can't <laughs> cross... I, they took that for old stories, too. And um, they're charging now uh, oh, $7 a month, which is expensive because, like, we don't... We have a budget of, like... Negative. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more than the actual uh, magazine cost in the stores, isn't it? Uh, the magazine subscription is actually—I uh, can't remember which is which, Rob. One, one is, of them is one outrageous. is ten dollars and one is seven. If you want online, I—I—I <laughs> I, I don't want to get this wrong. I—I I think the it doesn't affect magazine us. is ten dollars because once again the, we we have the money. I was just curious. Uh, seven and the online is seven. Anyways, now, as I was saying, you know, there are ways to handle this. And I really disagree with, like, having all these stories for free for, like, 10 years is what they've had since I've been kind of, like, looking every day to see what's been happening new and, and old stories that they've been doing about bands that, uh, well, they did a story about a band that uh, we covered here in our progressive rock section we did a band we did a a, a piece about crack the sky, crack the sky right? and um i knew about crack the sky i'd heard the album i fell asleep twice to it <laughs> <laughs> i did that was a funny story because it's true and uh they had a piece just before i'd always wanted to do the album so it was not a pro did, rolling stone didn't make me it didn't affect want, the, uh, yeah it didn't affect but anyway. i found out that through this update of, of Crack the Sky, uh, that they were still together and that they were, you know, just releasing a new album and that they had been together, you know, since like 1975 or 76 and had never really broken up. And it was good information to have and I used it on the show. And um, these are little things that are important. I can't remember everything in the past. Some things, and some things that I do remember, I have to sometimes fact check to make sure that I'm not giving out false information. So I use a lot of background, as Rob knows. I, I check newspapers and blah, blah, blah. I just kind of uh, say what I think I thought I remember. Now, what there are ways to handle this, and I really disagree with, with the way Rolling Stone is doing it, because there are newspapers that I look at that have interesting stories and interesting informations on bands and stuff like the new york times i use the new york times maybe three times a month to get uh information from and they don't charge me they only charge people if you use it you know, three to five times i think five times in a month okay. and then if you exceed that they say you know we're cutting you off you, you want to get a subscription if you don't then you can't look at any more of our stories for a month for the rest of the month Right. Yeah, I can respect that. Yeah, cool. it's a great idea. So, <clears throat> what it does is that it doesn't deter from people who are in New York or in the New York area from subscribing because they're going to want to. They're yeah, going to the want to read New everything. News, yeah. yeah, but what it does is that it gives the New York Times exposure to people who are far away and say, "Wow, they got a lot of good stories in here." You know, I might at one point want to subscribe for a couple of months or even just you know just to find out now i only use it three to five times i'm allowed three to five articles to read and then if i exceed that 
I have to wait until the next month to start over again. That's a great idea. Uh, many newspapers have that. Uh, some newspapers are free. Some newspapers you can look up and uh, their recent stories and you can just go in there and boom, they don't charge nothing. Um, I just really am upset about this because that would have been a good idea for Rolling Stone because uh, three to five, if I could pick about five a month, I'd be great. Now I'm now I'm not. I don't get any. You're zero a month. I'm zero a month. I got no choice except it's extortion. The Rolling, I find Rolling it to be Stone extortion. has disappeared from your uh, your references now. Yeah, I have to now look, and, and Rolling Stone, in all honesty, has the best pieces on 70s bands from today, like doing pieces from today about old bands they had. We're going to talk about, I'll even tell you, we're going to talk about Peter Green next week, who passed away, who's a musical genius, so one of the greatest guitar players of all time. They had great articles on the life of Peter Green. I mean, they're just the best. And Rolling Stone, to be honest with you, has been the best for 50 years. And you kind of get the news stories from today. You can get it from other websites, um, but they're just not as detailed. They're not as good as Rolling Stone. I feel it's extortion. I feel like like you're making us pay for good stories when if I'm only going to use it four or five times, why would I want to pay yeah, yeah. You know, that you're much money? You're not getting the value for what you're paying now. So that's my bitch. This is almost this is almost an excerpt of our famous uh, uh, <laughs> guy who did that thing. The, uh, this is an excerpt of our famous segment uh, with the James Brown tag of uh, Papa. Don't take no mess. Papa, don't take no mess. This is my two cents in, and I'm not taking mess. I ain't taking no mess. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to hand you some mess. There's a way to handle this, and uh, Rolling Stone is looking at the money, and they're not looking at, uh, you know, the bigger the bigger picture, which is now I just won't use it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there you go. Thank you, Rolling Stone. I also want to point out really quick that um, I saw just this week when I was doing background information, something that I never knew. And it may not be important to many people, and we may touch upon this later, but there, I was looking through some old stuff for 1970, kind of looking for some Beatles stories in 1970 in the newspapers. I did not know that there was an, an Everly Brothers TV show in the summer of 1970. It was like a variety show? It kind of was, yeah. Um, it they was some music. Um, they'd have some comedy guests. They would. And I, they actually, I don't think the Ivy Brothers did comedy, but they would have like comedians on there and they had uh, musical guests and uh, like hip musical guests. Like they wouldn't have like Steve Lawrence on there. They would have like <laughs> Linda Ronstadt or somebody. And I never knew anything. Like I thought I knew everything, to be honest with you. And that's pretty egotistical, but I thought I knew at least what was going on, but I had no idea. And the interesting thing is that it was a summer replacement for the Johnny Cash show in 1970. Ah. Uh, you know, like Johnny would do his show and then for like 30 weeks or whatever. And then during the summertime, they would have a show to fill in until the fall season started. Then Johnny would do his next season. So that was the show. They did 10 episodes and that was it. They didn't ask it back. I guess they didn't get enough uh, viewers. 
but it looked interesting. They had a they had a listing of when I looked in the in the TV guide of of the guests on there, and I was going, this looks like a really interesting show. Why have I never heard about this? And you know what? It's not only not on it's not on DVD or anything, obviously, or else I would have heard about it. But I've never even seen it on bootleg DVD. Have they like erased all the tapes? Like uh... they have a couple of clips that I checked on YouTube, like a couple of small okay. ones. Like Neil Diamond was on the show, and you can watch Neil Diamond's ten minutes of it and you can see like a little bit of the Everly Brothers for like a five minute song or a medley but you can't there's no real it doesn't see it no seems one's like got the whole shows on the uh... they have no complete shows uh... on the on YouTube which is a shame because it must be really locked up because I've never even seen bootlegs of it and usually they have usually they have bootlegs of every show that's available you can get them for it, but I've never seen it, never heard about it, and I was just fascinated. I know it might not be important for many people, but this is a show. Many shows don't get forgotten nowadays in social media. Everything kind of gets brought up in, from the past. Yeah, this has never really been brought up. It's like really, there was an Everly Brothers show. Wow, that's pretty cool. And I love the Everly Brothers. They got especially around 1970. Yeah, especially around 1970, and and it's just uh, you know, hopefully it if. Hopefully there's some copies that get released. I know that they're available because obviously one or two has shown up on YouTube and that's before VCRs. So obviously they got them from um, the vaults somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, that's our odds and ends for today. If you're really pissed off at Rolling Stone like I am, I would send an email to them and uh, tell Jan Weiner and his son, who's now running the company to get their act together, man. Clock. We have one. Let me see. Hold it. I got one here. Okay. Mine's better than yours. I got it. Okay. Well, we're going to talk. This is part two of our talk about the final year of the Beatles. And I'm not going to interrupt too much. Well, you can interrupt if you have a if you have something to say. If you're just going to say my bum hurts, then I'm not I'm not going to acknowledge that. By the way, Gary, my bum hurts. <laughs> I've been sitting all day uncomfortably. <laughs> that 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 will get kind of a look from me and a uh... a look that you, the listener, cannot see. <laughs> but it's dirty. Let's go back to where I kind of left off. Because I had a couple more, just a couple more comments about uh, the, thing. the two meetings that they had in September oh, yeah. of 69. Now, when I was thinking about it after the show and in the week that we've had proceeding, I was thinking that Paul McCartney, that is, when he went to the first meeting, which is the meeting that uh, John and George were kind of in charge of, I kind of figure things out and it's hard to figure things out when you don't even know the people (laughs) and you don't know how they think, but you read about them so much on a day-to-day basis as far as their lives. And you've heard heard a lot of uh, contrary information uh, since that uh, has obscured the actual original stories. Exactly. But you kind of know the people, if you know what I mean, in a way you kind of, you've heard so much about them. You've heard so many stories. You can can piece up. You can piece something together. My piecing of it together, why that they had that meeting about divvying up equally the amount of songs on an album and why Paul was so resistant was that he really felt he held the cards. 
he really felt that, listen, I don't like this idea. I want it just like it was before, the old formula, because what are you going to do, quit? <laughs> uh, and all we need is one dissenter, which is me, and then we go back to the old way. What what Paul didn't know, and I think this was the highest of his ego that he'd ever had and ever would have, his, his ego was really high. I think his confidence was really high because you have to understand, he was the one when Brian Epstein died that came up with the idea for Magical Mystery Tour. He pretty much came up with the idea for the White Album. He pretty much came up with, uh, he definitely came up with the idea for the Get Back Project, Let It Be, of, you know, doing the concert and rehearsals. And he came up mostly with his idea to get everybody back together to record Abbey Road. So it's really been Paul since Brian Epstein died with, with his vision of every album. And he thought, these guys don't care enough or are too busy to really have the motivation that I have. So I'll just say, no, I want to do it like I want to do it. And they'll go, okay, better that than have Paul leave and then the band will, will, will quit or whatever. But what, what Paul didn't realize is that George and John were probably just looking for an excuse <laughs> to leave. Like, and this was, this was the straw. Definitely George was a little unhappy. Uh, I mean, in the studio, uh, I've seen a few clips where. Uh, George was the unhappiest. Yeah. And I'm so and and uh George was really evil. How George was treated during the, the get back sessions and throughout nineteen sixty nine was horrendous by the by Lennon and McCartney. He was the more the more talented and the more great songs he came, you think you get you think you'd get like a, yeah. a whole bunch of hugs, but he was even getting more resentment because all they could think about was Ooh, that means less songs for me, and that means less, <laughs> you know, that means less airtime for me with my Thank songs. God, you could do like uh, more than one album a year. Uh, you got so many songs coming in. Just I know. Do more. I know, and you know that he had two albums worth of songs, at mm -hmm. least with "All Things Must Pass." So he overplayed. He he. I really think uh, that he thought he was in the catbird seat, as they say. And he wasn't, because when they went back about two weeks later, as I said last show for their next meeting, which was to sign their new record contract, um, he made the statement, which I told you about, Rob, and I can, where he said, hey, you know what we should do? We should, now it's Paul's idea, right? Now let's, now this is what we're going to do. You know that idiot idea you had a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> this is what he's thinking, that idiot. I know that it's all, you know, I really feel that this is what happened in Paul's mind. You know, dismiss what they did and then come back with your own idea. So, you know, he had that idiot idea about this. But listen, this is what we should do. And, of course, me and Rob talked about it last show. He came up with the idea on this uh, late September meeting to play the clubs oh let's let's get the band and we'll play clubs around london and it'll be really cool that's when john had enough and that's when john said hey that's that's fucking daft and i'm almost <laughs> quoting here when he said that's fucking daft in fact i'm leaving i've had enough because i think john knew that what paul says goes and if he doesn't like it he'll just veto it and i think he said i had enough i have a lot more fun with the plastic ono band and this is just bullshit yeah. and whether john was serious 
I don't know. Ringo to this day, because John says a lot of stuff and then takes it back like a week later. Now, Ringo to this day doesn't know whether John was entirely serious about quitting. And I don't think George ever knew whether he was entirely serious. Paul kind of did, because right after that, everything kind of stopped. There was no business until January with the Beatles of 1970. Paul went home. The only thing we know about any of the Beatles after that meeting in late September, and we didn't find this out, of course, for until about seven or eight years ago, that Paul went home to his Scottish farm with Linda and his new baby and his stepdaughter, and he just didn't get out of bed. So he felt that it was, he was in a deep depression. He drank all the time. He didn't bathe like Rob. And <laughs> bathing sucks. <laughs> and he didn't, he was in a deep depression. So he must have thought either two things. John was serious. He is quitting. Or I don't want to be in this anymore because if people are quitting left and right, Ringo quit first and then George quit at one time and then. John's now quitting. I don't think this is irretrievable. I don't think I want to be part of this anymore. And now there's Alan Klein, who's just being an asshole. I, in any ways, when he went home, he felt the Beatles were over. And he actually might have been the only one. We don't know. But he definitely felt that I don't want to be part of this situation anymore. It's just not healthy. So he, it took Linda a couple of months to get him to realize you got to do something like if the Beatles aren't going to be around, make your own album, get up off your ass. Don't sleep all day, like, uh, and drink all day. And, uh, he admitted that, uh, which a lot of people didn't know. So January comes around Paul's kind of pulled himself together. Now the Beatles, the three Beatles, John's, um, in Denmark on holiday, and uh, the three Beatles get together and record the version on January 4th. Sorry, January 4th at Abbey Road. The three Beatles record all day. They record from like 6.30 to like 1.30 in the morning. They record I Me Mine, the version that you hear on the album. And uh, that was the last song. That was the last song they did. That was the last song that they ever worked on until uh, the anthology when the three of them got together to work on John's song that he demo anyways. And um, and then they also did, that's when also the day that George did his guitar overdub for Let It Be. Uh, the one on okay. the album, the one that we talked yeah, about last show. The one that's cool. The one that's one of the best solos <laughs> I've ever heard in a, in a, in a rock and roll song. And um, they got along, you know, from, they got along and, and really well. They were there all day. Like, that's a long day, 3.30 in the afternoon till, you know, 1.30. That's a pretty lengthy day. It takes some time apart, and then you get together, it's kind of fun again. Yeah, and it sounded like, you can hear some dialogue, and because I'm, the a version of I'm Mine was included on the, uh, the uh, one of the anthology uh, releases, Anthology 3. And they're talking, and they're talking about John not being there. So it doesn't seem that there's all that much bad blood. Um, or you just don't know whether John was serious or not. You just don't know. You really don't. But what happened? Okay, so they did that. They they finished their part of Let It Be, and then it was handed to Phil Spector to make an album out of it. And um, so then you got 
that's when things get interesting because then it's February, March, and April. And uh, so you got Ringo starts working on his Sentimental Journey album, which is a bunch of standards. And and uh, you've got, I don't think George was doing a hell of a lot. He, see, George wasn't even work. George didn't even, it's interesting that George didn't even start All Things Must Pass until May when the group was officially over of 1970. It's very interesting that in all that time between late September and May, which is a lot of months, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, five, eight, eight, about eight or nine months, he didn't even start making demos. He started making demos at the beginning of May for the album. And it's like, wow, what was he waiting for? Was he waiting for John to come back? It's a very interesting story. Yeah, yeah. I'm under suspicion. He was uh, waiting to to know in no uncertain terms where the future was. I on. do too. I, I I have the feeling that okay, what's happening here? I'm not going to start this huge album if I'm going to get a phone call saying we're going in the studio next week or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Paul starts working on his album now. Paul, in his mind, I think, feels that it's all over. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. I don't think he wants the conflicts anymore. So he works on his solo album. He's done his time with working on the last song and the overdubs. And I came in, I did my job. But Paul is really the only one. We don't know how John's thinking. But Paul's really the only one who's like, there's no more Beatles. And then things kind of hit the fan, you know, Everything's working uh, really good. No one's getting on each other's nerves. No one's getting on any, anybody's nerves because there's no real meetings. There's no real nothing going on except solo projects and uh, stuff. And then um, what comes up is the release date for the albums. Now, there's three albums coming out. There's Ringo's album, Sentimental Journey. There's the Beatles soundtrack album, Let It Be, which is to coincide with the release of the, of the album the in May, of the movie in May. And then there's Paul's solo album, which he told everybody about, okay, I got an album coming out and I want it out in April. Now they're all going, oh, fuck, man. Like there's like three Beatle albums coming out in like six weeks time from <laughs> each other. They're going to knock each other senseless. And uh, it's just not going to be really cool, man. So, what? Yeah, but I'd almost discount Ringo's. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a way, you do. I mean, uh, I mean that's cruel, but it, you're right. I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, it's not for the, the. It's not in the same. It's different. It's Ringo. <laughs> it's Ringo. So what? What the? Uh, no, I agree, and it's not a rock and roll record either. It's a. Uh, it's exactly, a record of yeah. Stands, yeah, and. <laughs> But still, you don't want any. You don't want any album, because just because it's got Ringo's name on it, people are going to buy it, yeah. and that might take away their money from buying Let It Be, which is supposed to be the thing. And there are also interviews being happening, like there are interviews where now this is between January and Paul's announcement that he's leaving April. Um, there's meetings, there's, there's a couple of interviews where nobody says, oh, this is, you know, this is a terrible situation. George had, George, the one who wanted to leave the most was saying, I don't understand 
why we can't make an album uh, as a group with, you know, we take our best songs and we come in and it's all, and he said, it's almost a disservice to the fans not to do it, to make an album every couple of years. And then we go and take those two years off and make our solo stuff and then come back. Yeah. He, and what struck me, he says, it's a disservice not to do it because why not? But things changed. <laughs> things changed. Uh, and th the one thing that really changed, because I think that everybody might have been on board with this idea, but the one guy who wasn't was Paul. And even John, I could see saying, you know what, that'd be pretty cool. You know, I get to do my stuff. I get to do like my Plastic Ono Band album, but then I can get to do like, uh, like I can come back with the Beatles and kind of make a lot of money or, you know, just it's a good idea i think it's a good idea just because they could get away from each other for a while and like i said getting back together is more fun when you're not stuck for 12 hours a day every day for half a year or something it's kind of being in a part-time band yeah you know what i mean yeah instead of being beatles 24 hours a day all the time which they, they can, had been. they can take a break from being beatles for right. a little while they can be ex well they're never going to ex-beatles yet so what happened is after all this um they got three albums coming out. Paul says, I, you know, I agree to, I'll agree to push my album back a little bit for Ringo's album. Yeah, yeah. Because that was asked by uh, uh, Alan Klein and the other Beatles. You know, you don't want yours and, and Ringo's album to be. Okay, you know, Ringo gets, you know, I can understand that. But then there was a letter written from John and George. Now, John and George are like the other half. Ringo's, Ringo doesn't really care. Like Ringo wants to be in the Beatles no matter what. He is the Beatles Switzerland. He is the he is the <laughs> Beatles Switzerland. He is. And then you got Paul saying, "I'm getting fucked. These guys have a manager I know is a crook." And uh, and then you got the other side who have that manager who is a crook and who think that Paul's a dictator, which is John and George. So basically, you have John and George on one side. And you have Paul on the other. They're the three combatants, really. And Ringo is in there trying to keep this glue together. Now, what's important, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. And this was on Tuesday, March 31st, 1970. Paul has his release date. Now, George and John write a letter uh george really writes it john signs it and they were actually going to have it sent by uh a messenger or however they did it back then it wasn't telegram it's a, it's a letter it's, too it's a letter but uh you know like a courier would, would come and drop it off to him but ringo was around and he said you know what i don't i don't like that idea it's very impersonal how about i go to paul's house and i knock on the door and talk to him knock on the door talk to him and say <laughs> hey here's a friendly face and this is the letter that we've kind of written up because Ringo signed it too because he just he's going along with the business aspect of it, which is yeah, let's delay your album and so that everybody can get the amount of sales that they want. We don't want all the albums coming out at once. So the letter I will read because we do have the letter nowadays. We do know what the letter says. And it's a very nice letter, actually. It's not antagonizing at all. It says, hey, Paul. <laughs> yeah, it says, idiot. It says, dear Paul, we thought a lot about yours and the Beatles LPs and decided it's stupid for Apple to put out two big albums within seven days of each other 
Also, there's Ringo's and there's the Hey Jude compilation album. So we sent the letter to EMI telling them to hold your release until June 4th. So there's a big, there's a big Apple Capital Convention in Hawaii then. We thought you'd come around when you realized that the Beatles album was coming out on April 24th. Uh, we're sorry it turned out like this. It's nothing personal. Love, John and George. Hare Krishna. <laughs> a mantra a day keeps Maya away. <laughs> I love that letter. It's very nice. Even, they even sign it, Love, John and George. And um, the letter was sealed in an envelope marked from us to you. This is important. This is the letter that really broke up the Beatles. And it was left at Apple reception, as I said, for a messenger to deliver to the McCartney's home. However, uh, Ringo said, I didn't think it was fair that some office lad should take something that important to his house. So he said, I'm going to take it. So Ringo goes and Paul, who's already extremely tired of all the arguing over Apple's future and Alan Klein and all this Seems like everybody's against him, and which which they kind of are. I mean, all the other Beatles are kind of against him. Yeah, but granted, he was kind of uh, in vetoing everyone, kind of against all the. Oh other yeah, Beatles, there's so. there's no good guy in this. There's no good guy in this. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he feels everybody's against me. George is against me. John's against me. Even Ringo is and going on Ringo? the side. Yeah, and so so uh, Ringo came to see him. Uh, he was very mild-mannered. Uh, so Ringo arrived at the house, and this is from Paul's words from the meeting. And I must have gave him a bit of a verbal abuse. <laughs> he said, I said, you guys are just messing me around, he said. after, Of course, after he received the letter and read it, he said, no, well, on... He and Ringo said, no, no, no. Well, on behalf of the board and on behalf of the Beatles and so-and-so, we think you should do this. It's best for everybody. And I was just fed up with that shit. Like, it was the only time I ever told anyone to get out of my house. It was fairly hostile. But things had got like that by this time. Things were irreparable is what he was saying. It hadn't actually come to blows. This was very close to coming to blows with Ringo. But it was enough. And he did say things like, get the fuck out of my house. I'm going to kick your ass. Like uh, he did, because that was quoted somewhere else that I don't have. He said, unfortunately, it was Ringo. And that's who I took my anger out of, because it could have been anybody. It could have been the courier who dropped it off. I mean, he was probably to least the blame least of the blame to any of them but he was the fall guy who got sent around to ask me to change the date and he probably thought well paul will do it because i'm ringo well fuck that i said <laughs> <laughs> he met a different i love this he said he met a different character by now i was definitely boycotting apple and everything beatles and that was it in fact after he threw him out it took a couple of years, obviously, for that, for even Ringo and Paul's relationship to mend, mm. because you don't like, you like, it's pretty hard feelings when you throw somebody out who's just kind of like being the messenger. And so now, uh, I, 
I love I love Ringo's explanation of this because Ringo's is the same, but it's from his point of view. <laughs> I went to see Paul. To my dismay, he went completely out of control, which I can see. I have Rob has seen me in a band feud get completely out of control. When somebody's acting stupid, I get completely out of control. He was shouting at me. He was prodding his fingers towards my face, saying, I'll finish you now. See, that's what I mean. That's what I was looking for. I'll finish you now, and you'll pay, you bastard. And he told me to put my coat on and get out, and I did. <laughs> that was the end. There was no coming back from that. And what happened was... Uh, <laughs> what happened was Paul's. they said, okay... George and John said, Paul's very serious about this. We will delay the Let It Be album. We'll delay the film a little bit. Okay, whatever. Um, so Paul's album came out on time. And when it came out, it had that famous press clipping that was uh, uh, manufactured just for the press on the on the week before it was released. You know how they get the record a week before in the... Uh, in the, against the stores. Then yeah. the stores. And it had that that little sheet that said you know do you it was made up questions by peter brown who works for the beatles and he said paul said make up some questions and i'll answer them and so one of the questions peter brown asked him in this little made up sort of press release was uh do you plan on working with the beatles in the future and he said no and then one of the things he said that really kind of started everybody saying that the Beatles had broken up, which they had. Paul really left when he made that statement. He said, I don't plan on the future of playing with the Beatles because I have a much better time with my family. Which yeah, kind of right. meant, you know what? It's done. And it, uh, and then the next day, not the next, the next day, it blew up in the papers, the Beatles, which they had. Paul has left the Beatles. Now, you have to understand that nobody knew anything about what's going on. People think nowadays that, oh, you heard all this bitching in the, the papers and shit like that, and it must have come as no surprise. That's not the way it was back then. There was no social media. There was no books being released to reveal what was going on behind the scenes. There was some people who would say in Rolling Stone, ah, you know, it doesn't sound like things are all happy there in Beetleland, but nobody knew exactly what was going on. Nobody. And it really wasn't until December. And this kind of ends the story. But, you know, Paul's album came out. He quit the Beatles. And that was pretty much it. Uh, there was no going back from there. And then still people, and then people started blaming Paul because not knowing anything about what was happening behind the scenes at that time with the way newspapers and it just worked back then. Everybody thought, oh, Paul broke up the Beatles. He's an asshole. He's, oh, he broke up our dreams, you know. It's and right. Then, they have the right to be angry with them for that. Sons of bitches. Sons of bitches. So John does one of the most famous interviews of all time with Jan Wenner of Rolling Stone in December of 1970. Maybe the greatest interview of all time in a magazine. It's definitely the greatest rock and roll interview of all time. And it was so it was great because he laid it on the line. He finally didn't have anything holding him back. And he just said, you know, this is what happened. Paul's a cunt. Blah, blah, blah. I don't like George's album. It's not my cup of tea. Ringo's is OK, but I wouldn't buy it. Uh, just just venom. Just like 
nobody knew that there was so much venom between oh, these four guys. These guys had done all you need is love. These guys had done all you need is love. And just a year before mm. had said, and in mm. the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, this guy's an asshole. Paul is like this. And even George is... Oh, that's when he said, like, you know, yeah. George said George said something about Yoko. I should have punched him. And it was like people were reading this for the <laughs> first time going like, oh, my God, things are that bad. These guys hate each other that much. They're like humans, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, now after those issues came out in, in late December, early January, people now realize what it was like and then all hell broke loose again because once the once once the the animosity had been revealed then the animosity came in the form of records as in how do you sleep and paul mccartney's ram who took shots at john and paul suing the beatles which is a whole other story altogether to get out of the alan klein thing it got it, it just got worse what we're saying is, I think, in the end, as we kind of end this, is that there was a lot of things involved that ended the Beatles. If anybody still thinks that, see, lack of information is why people blame like Paul and Yoko, because everybody yeah. blamed Yoko for like 20 years. They blamed Yoko for about 10 years until until John died, and they had sympathy for her, like we said last episode. But they probably still blamed her, but they just felt sorry for her. No, now. but you know, even I'd heard uh, George, he had gone off during the Let It Be projects to do something else, and uh, they'd come back saying, you know, that was so ref that was so much fun to do, and then I got to come back to the heaviness of this. That's that's a good story. Can I just tell that? Yeah, please. Okay, they did the White Album, and it was pretty heavy, as Rob just said. It was pretty heavy. It wasn't heavy like the Get Back project would be, but it was pretty heavy. So he went to go see. Bob Dylan and the band in Woodstock because he loved this idea of the band woodshedding at, at a house and putting their music together and having this family communal affair. And he went there and he was just, he went there for Thanksgiving in America, which would be late November or, or whatever. And, you know, and a little bit of December and, you know, him and Bob wrote a couple songs. One of them ended up on all things must pass. And it was just such a family um non-confrontational <laughs> this is how bands should work you know where everybody's contributing and everybody's kind of like pitching in to make everything and he comes back like just like rob said to a t he came back all refreshed oh january 2nd we start you know this get back <laughs> project and i am so pumped and he comes back and it's worse than ever. <laughs> he comes back to eight o'clock in the morning and everybody bitching at each other because it's eight o'clock and having to play music when it's freezing inside this film studio. And he just goes, you know that he never watched the Let It Be film because he had such bad memories. <laughs> he didn't he could never, They did watch. There's a picture on the Internet. They did watch, they all did. They took a, a break from recording Abbey Road to watch the director's cut, you know, where they decide, this is a funny story. They decide, you know, okay, you can leave that in, don't leave that in. So there's, I think, a two and a half hour, three hour cut that the director made for the Beatles to see. And you, there's a picture of them all kind of sitting down in this little 
projection room type of thing that they had set up. And when it was over, you know, they kind of went, they all went for supper. And uh, it seemed like everything was, I can't imagine what it had been like to see Let It Be with everybody there. And it must have been something else because it's, it's not a happy movie. <laughs> but the next day, I guess there was a lot of John and Yoko in it. Because the next day, every one of them, except John, called and said, called the director and said, there's too much John and Yoko. I want that cut out. <laughs> there's too much John and Yoko. I want that cut out. What's the next one? George is on the line. There's too much John and Yoko. I want that cut out. <laughs> Three independent phone calls. <laughs> so they did. He did. He said, you know, but for some reason, they decided to let the uh probably out of apathy they just decided to let the the argument between paul and george stay in again probably because of apathy probably because whatever we asked to take a lot of john and yoko stuff out you know we'll give a little bit and it doesn't seem that bad the argument of course the argument is still talked about 50 years from now <laughs> and um that's that there's so many stories i mean we could go on we could go on all night with stories about this last the last year of the beatles and let it be and get back we're going to end it at that i'm glad you brought that up because i was going to talk about that rob uh exactly, but there was too many things to to remember illustrates the point of spending too much too much time together uh just, just wearing on each other and too much time uh, oh, we're so behind. <laughs> we haven't even talked about Elliot Rhodes yet. Oh my God! Yes, too much time together. And our point is, many factors yeah. interrupted. The Beatles could very well have existed much longer. But I'm telling you, things are kind of meant to be how they're meant to be. Yeah. And uh, you, and and I know that people love to say, "Oh, what if this meeting went so well? And what if Paul?" gave in and you know what sometimes things are meant to be and didn't it end really good with abbey road and i think just everyone perfectly... was still furious about the beatles breaking up i was thinking about that when we were doing the solo albums and that um uh, when the beatles would do an album like uh, the white album or abbey road uh or sergeant peppers and do something completely different than they've ever done before it was embraced as like a, a brilliant brand new artwork and when they tried doing like something different uh some of their projects as um ex-Beatles uh they got lambasted <laughs> yeah I know they did. and I think a fair bit of that was anger at the Beatles it's okay they're not perfect uh we can we can put the boots to them now you know Rob that's <laughs> that that puts it perfectly exactly exactly and you no really had to live through that time to I mean yeah. we didn't even live through that time we were too young but we know now that that's why solo projects got lambasted even yep. good solo projects got lambasted was because uh, there was just a lot of anger from critics from fans from from felt I, betrayed. i'm still not done next week <laughs> i just want to shortly say about my first experience with let it be and because i got a real good story and i even did some background information which will be very interesting uh we're going to do another segment next week it's going to be a much shorter segment because we're so over time <laughs> yeah. today holy man <laughs> 45 minutes uh, in what i want to talk about now and I apologize for taking up so much time with the Beatles because it's we had to, but we didn't. I didn't want to take up too much time away from Emmett Rhodes, who uh, who who passed away just in July, 
and um, we will be looking, you know, at his 1970 debut album, Emmett Rose. He only made he only made four. Well, he made five. They 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 kind of put one together without his consent. Or without uh... his consent <laughs> at the beginning, and they kind of put some tracks from his old band in there, and then uh, he actually made three albums. Intentionally, intentionally, <laughs> and then he Sounds just weird. made an album two years ago after taking. Well, I'll, I'll get to that because <laughs> Emmett's story is not a happy one, and it's and it's uh, and he was so talented. I didn't read any background on him whatsoever. Okay, um, what uh, Emmett Rhodes was in a band called uh, the Merry Ground in California. He was a California boy. And Mary Ground was so, so successful. And anyways, he left Mary Ground in uh, about 1969. And he decided to sign a contract. Um, I'm so preoccupied with how incredibly <laughs> lengthy this episode's going to be. Um, he's, but I, I don't want to I, I want to pay due respects to Emmett Rhodes. So I don't, I don't want to be flippant. I got the time. I don't want to be flippant, as they say. Um, <laughs> So he signed a record contract, and he signed a record contract with ABC Dunhill. And ABC Dunhill, and this is part of Emmett Rose's fault. People can bitch all they want, but they're the ones who don't yeah. read the contracts and then sign them. Well, Emmett Rhodes signed a contract that said he had to deliver two albums every, not two albums, two albums a year, but oh. one album every six months, which is insane. It's impossible. It's not impossible to do. It's tough if you're in a band. Yes. <laughs> That's the point. That's the whole point. Emmett Rhodes was didn't even have a, a a backup band. Emmett Rhodes. He went on Lenny Kravitz on this. Recorded <laughs> all three of his studio albums. Maybe even his last one. I don't know because I don't know too much about the album he released two years ago. I haven't even heard it, although I'm anxious to. Uh, but he, everybody called him like, first of all, he wrote a lot like Paul McCartney and, and then he released albums like Paul McCartney. Like he recorded everything. He recorded every instrument and every vocal. His vocal stylings and his sense of melody. Yeah. Yes. Very Beatlesque. Very, very McCartney. If you, I thought, I thought if you played this for me, I didn't tell me who it was. I would have told you it was Paul McCartney. If you said otherwise, I would have taken the out back and uh, beat you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Yet it's not copying. It's just no. It's just extremely an original way of him writing pop tunes. Yeah, that that that's happens his to style, like and it happens. To, yeah, yeah. Because uh, the lyrics, if you look at the lyrics, they're not really Paul McCartney-ish. And uh, the music, even though it's poppy, is not really Paul McCartney's, but you kind of combine everything, and it does sound like that. Yeah, there were some, definitely some elements, but the voice definitely, uh, and the sense of melody. Great that's... voice, and, and a, a great voice, like, like a Paul McCartney. Not like Paul McCartney, but you know, a great voice to go along with, he's also like a pretty boy, like Paul yep, is. Yep. And it, everybody said, oh, he's like Paul McCartney, plays, and he, he's... And a lot of people were saying, you know, because Paul had just released, as we were talking about, his first solo album. His, Emmett Rhodes' first solo album came out at about the same time. And everybody was saying, oh, I wish Paul's album was like this. <laughs> and, um, which is funny. But the problem was, is that he was so happy recording by himself. 
putting these songs together. And he probably would have been an, um, just a really good and happy person <laughs> if he would have been allowed to do what he wanted to do. But he signed this idiotic contract, so he would take six months alone to record an album. And then he was mad because he couldn't tour behind it because he had to record another album. Yeah, that's all you can do if you're doing all that's the parts. That's all you can do if you're doing all the parts. That I mean, it's it's really tough. You'd have to wait till he was out of the contract before he could start to tour. Exactly. But of course, if you're doing records solo, you can't meet the expectation of the you can't. Nobody can. I don't care. I don't care if you're Paul McCartney. You can't make two albums a year just by yourself. Yeah, unless you're prepared to uh, say uh, screw the contract. It's time to uh, give him some crap. <laughs> but you don't want to sign your name well to the an problem album is crap. rob when you don't meet the contract and which is an idiotic contract should never have been made in the first place by abc daniel they sued him and they took everything so not only was he busted his butt to try and make records but in the end he ended up with nothing because they sued him for breach of contract because he couldn't make an album every <laughs> six months and release it and it's just insane so he said, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm on the verge of a breakdown, and I don't blame him. I probably would have been too. I said, I don't, he said, I don't like the record business. I, I, don't, I don't understand how I did all this work and wrote all this material and, and, and have, have I owe, I owe money. Yeah, <laughs> less than nothing to show for it. I have less than nothing to show for it. Nobody even knows me from anybody. And a bunch of other street. guys who didn't do crap benefited from it. Exactly. So in 1973, he released his, his what people thought was going to be his last album, Farewell to Paradise, and he kind of quit. He did odd jobs, but it always nagged him about, it must nag you when you're that talented. <laughs> and other people kind of made you bitter about and it just hung with him he started to drink and he got very depressed and he went through a couple of marriages i mean it's the same old kind of showbiz story of people who don't know shit about music telling the artist what to do or making unreasonable demands on the artist killing the artist's love for what he's doing but also killing the artist because the artist eventually knows how talented he is and knows that he deep down inside really does love making the music but he, i can't i can't go back into that jungle again i just can't because they i can't get over the wounds of how they screwed me i just can't do it yeah and it was so only gun shy it's gun shy exactly and it was only the prodding of the many musicians like myself and Rob, but more prestigious, yeah. like the Bengals and other people Real folks. who came up and said, who tried to find Evan. Evan Rhodes was almost off the map. He was almost, I, I don't even, he was like Brian Wilson. I don't know where he is. I don't know what's going on. They found him, just like the old blues guys. They had to find the old blues guys. Remember from the 30s and, and for the folk revival in the 60s and, and record them again? They made a, an effort to say, Emmett, your stuff is not forgotten. We love you, man. Like, come back. Took a lot of prodding. He had songs that he had written over the years from fooling around. And he got to release his last album, Rainbow's End, in uh, 28, I want to say 2018. Uh, he started working with it on 2014. That's about the time I heard 
his they re-released his albums as you know rob all of his albums on the two cd collection collection, the emmett Rhodes collection that's how i first i read a review of it and i said i think i read a review of it in rolling stone i said i want to listen to this guy this guy's getting praised up and down and i've never heard of him and i've heard everything about the 70s basically (laughs) and that's when i discovered emmett rose was sadly in 2014 should have discovered him in 1978, but he was that off the map as far as record buyers was concerned. And um, so anyways, his last album was released and uh, he perfectly happy now, but it's just, you know, he died in his sleep from years of just, just kind of torturing himself for not being able to do what God had made him to do. He died on January, uh, July 19th, 2020. Thankfully, he just died in his sleep and it wasn't painful or anything. But, you know, some people say, oh, you're a rock star, you're a rock star. Well, you know what? For every story of how great it is to be a rock star, there's 600 million (laughs) stories about how terrible the life is. And it's not a good life. Uh, It's... You know, it took a toll on me. I'm not the same person I was. I'm not the bright-eyed kid I was when I was 18 and called Rob and said, let's start a band and let's take on the world. Uh, the world kind of chips at you after a while. And Yeah, and it takes you a while to uh, realize uh, what's happening and that it's not going to change. And it's not going to change. And that's exactly what he... It, Those guys aren't going to get better. They're only going to get worse. And you know what? I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. And I don't even want to do what I do anymore because it's too painful and it's too much work. And I've spent myself out. I know what Emmett Rose went through. I didn't go through the drinking or the depression, but I went through the part of, I don't want to do this anymore because it's too painful to do. I'd rather do it on my own or with Rob in a band situation. It's too, it's too hard because people... People automatically get egos. You get a person, and you get, and they're perfect for your band. And then all of a sudden, they go from being quiet to, you know what? This is what I'm going to play on your song, and I don't think that you should doubt me. And it's like, but it's my song, and I know what I want. <laughs> and then you just, after years and years of that, you just really lose it. And that's why Emmett Rhodes was so happy, being what he was, was that he made all the decisions. He played the parts, the songs yeah, exactly. You know the way he how was. fast you can get things done when you don't have to uh, argue or even uh, discuss something with someone. You can just uh, look at what you do and say, "What's the next logical thing to do, right or wrong?" Okay, I'll do that. Exactly. It's so fast, and he was happy as a clown. And he not really aggravating. Was. He was like <laughs> me because I love being in the studio, and I love like. Except with Rob, who who gives me great advice, and is the only person I can trust in the studio. Yeah, and I don't, other than uh, that, I I'm would not, rather be alone in the studio. I'm not insistent. Rob <laughs> just tries to help. Rob doesn't go if my bass part's not there, then I'm not here. Like I don't, I don't. That's not helping anybody. <laughs> Rob never does that. Rob is the only person. We've never had an argument. People no, may not, not understand this, but. Not on anything. Like, he may be mad at me, <laughs> and I may be mad at him, but we're never mad at the same time. So we have never had an argument. 
we have known each other, Rob, how long? We've known each other 10, 20, 30, 35 years since we were 17, kids. Yeah. Since we were teenagers, we have never had a one-on-one -on -one argument. And you know why? Because <laughs> we know that it's just, it's just, we both want the same thing. Yeah. And we just, we just have, and if Rob, Rob told me once, I got Rob mad once. I got Rob mad once that I will never forget because I was, first of all, I was laughing at the bass part he was doing for my song. <laughs> and secondly, I was telling him what to play, oh, yeah, which is know. not my job. My job is to write the song and it's to present it in my way. And it's the other people's work or job to to add to it in the way they see fit. Yeah. So I never did that. Rob was very mad. I wasn't mad at I Rob. I see it as canvas. And uh, exactly. you bring in that and you got a bunch of painters there and, uh, you know, add your thing to it. Uh, the reason I play with you is because I uh, respect uh, the stuff you come up with. And, and it was my I, fault because I didn't I trust Rob enough. Genuinely don't like it. I'll just say, I don't want to use that. And me. he was mad. He was about as mad as I've <laughs> ever seen him at me. And he even, I came to pick him up that day and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me drive him home. I always and I, you know what? He was right. I have a policy of um, uh, He was a hundred percent right because, for some reason, I don't. I know how great a songwriter and a bass player he is, but for some reason, I didn't trust him, and I should have. And I've trusted that was him. Early on. I have That was early on, and I've trusted him from that day on. But for some reason, that day, I didn't trust him, and. I saw Rob get mad and I've never been able to get him that mad at me again <laughs> because I trust him a hundred percent. He trusts me a hundred percent. And that's kind of like Emmett Rhodes is working on his own and he loves it. I would love it too, but there's the business end of it. You know, that's too bad. We're suing you anyways. <laughs> and I feel so bad for, we got to talk about the album because we're really over time. Yeah. That's a record company that just doesn't care. That's a record company that only cares about their contract. And you know what? We can sue this guy now because he breached yeah, I mean, it. if they had a, uh, an ounce of uh, the, the brain in them, they, they'd say, okay, this guy's talented. Let's just, we got to encourage him not to kick him in the balls. Exactly. That's, that's they how. They could have had and this in all thing honesty, grow. In the 70s, most record companies were like that. Unfortunately, the one he signed to was not. Yeah. Most record companies were very forgiving of all. Almost all artists. They wanted artists to develop. Yes. And, and if know, they released three crappy albums at the beginning, yeah. of, they still said, okay, we're going to give you another chance. But, you know, we yeah. can see the potential, but you're not there yet. They don't get that nowadays. nowadays. No, that disappeared probably a decade or two ago. Yeah, it did. A long time ago. It yeah. was, um, uh, did what? Uh, we don't hear a single? Well, off you go. You know what? That was a good first album you made. I hope that when you make your second one, you find another record company that you're really going to promote. Because <laughs> we are. Um, so to talk about his his what I consider his best album, which is his first album, that's why I picked it. You know, we don't like to pick even, or I don't like to pick middling albums from an artist that has well, passed away. Well, in this away case, uh, because, not having heard them, uh, how do we know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I it's just what other people say. I I have heard it. His, I've had heard his music quite a bit because I caught on from that article. Okay. Yeah. And so I have listened to his music and I don't like to do like when we do John Prine, I don't like to do disservice to somebody who's passed away because this is not really in this kind of episode. It's not a review type. It's more of a, a eulogy to the artist. Yeah. 
So you don't want to pick a shitty album just to just to criticize. <laughs> you want to say this is what this artist means, okay? This is the best of this artist, and this is what they represent. And if there's an artist I don't like, we're probably not going to have them on because I have nothing good to say about their musical output. They may be great people, but you know I'm not going to sit here and and talk about somebody I don't like. But um, this album, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just so great, <laughs> and it all flows into one great pop song after another. Um, I love the lyrics. They're not complicated, but they're not, they're not bubblegum. And what, what, one thing Emmett Rhodes was not was bubblegum, and it was not saccharine like sometimes Paul McCartney could be. They're very kind of, even when they're sentimental, they're uh, an intellectual type of sentimental in the lyrics. And the the music is like that, too. It's a hard album to describe because you say pop and you go, oh, it's like, and you say Paul McCartney and you go, oh, and it is kind of like that, but there is kind of like, there's a lot of Emmett Rhodes to it. And to know that, I think you should really listen to it to understand what we're talking about. But um, when it comes to people who sound like the Beatles and who have that Beatlesque type of popishness to them, almost nobody is better at doing it than Emmett Rhodes because there is such so much of him in it. You can hear so much of Beatles in a lot of people that do that. Like Badfinger. I'm not talking bad about Badfinger, but there's so much Beatles in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And with with Emmett Rhodes, I just see Beatles influences. I don't see Beatles all over this stuff. There, what I see all over this stuff is Emmett Rhodes. I see his words. I see his great mind for arrangement. I see his great mind for short songs. You know, there's there's not one song that is longer than you know three and a half minutes, I think. And it's a quick album. It's only like thirty one minutes long. <laughs> But you get it. But that's what's perfect about it is that a lot of people thought that when CDs came along, because you had like 60 minutes, you had to put 60 minutes on it. <laughs> and you know what? An album, a record fits like, I don't know, 57 minutes. But a lot of people knew that if they had a statement to make and then they could make it in 31, 32 minutes, that means more than putting a lot of filler in there. Yeah. And, and stretching it out and stretching it out for no purpose other than to make a long album because you've got this much tape on the spool exactly <laughs> and i find that this album is unbelievably satisfying from beginning to end um i'm not going to pick out almost anything specifically in a song from this although i the one that i really love that I always come back to is the opening song with my face on the floor i think is why it wasn't a single and a big hit single is beyond me but the whole album has to be listened to as is uh i don't i can't imagine taking one song and just playing that or putting it on a playlist it just seems like a perfect pop record and uh i give four and a half out of five and uh, i really hope he gets even more than the due that he's because I know uh, there's a lot of people listening out there that don't even know who I'm talking about with Emmett Rhodes, and that makes me very sad. <laughs> but you know what? I was talking when we did our shows about Judy Sill. I felt that we were talking about a lot of people that people didn't know about, and it's those two shows that we did on Judy Sill are two of our most popular shows we've ever done. 
So I hope this happens with Emmett Rhodes. And it's sad that these shows are done about people that have gone way too early. But their music lives on. This music will live on with me for the rest of my life. I know that. Yeah, there's a whole lot of... Uh, I couldn't find any anything. It was... He was good at everything. Yeah. <laughs> you could you couldn't listen to this and say, boy, the drums are his drum playing is weak on this or something. No, the only thing I found was listen to it uh, three or four times. Uh, it, I liked the whole thing, but there was no particular song that uh, that really caught me. You know what? I've listened to this many times since 2014. There were parts that I still, caught me. I still <laughs> have that. I still but, have that feeling. There's not one song that really on all three there's of his no albums. standout uh, hit single here. There's just a whole bunch of a consistent entire album of good songs. That's so funny, Rob, because that's exactly <laughs> what I I did say with the face on my floor, but that's just because I've heard it so many times. Um, I found but it I felt be... that with his second album, I felt like it was like really great, but it didn't. It, nothing stood out as far as a single, and I definitely felt that with his third album, which he kind of went a little bit with longer songs and stuff. But it's amazing how. A person like me who's listened to this quite a few times since 2014 still finds it just one big album, not not one yeah. album with a whole bunch of It's almost like songs. a 30-minute a song. It, it is. It is. I think that's, if I had to describe it, I'd say it's one 30-minute uh, pop song uh, with each about two and a half minutes long. It's parts to it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found that I should have taken out the metronome and checked the tempo. Well, them were the symbol, the the the, the kind of, yeah, uh, uh, I guess pop tempo of the time. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I think the only one that slowed down a bit was uh, Lullaby. Oh yeah, Lullaby and and it has a, an acoustic guitar on it, which makes it different too. Yeah, and, and that's a should, short one minute song. And <laughs> I also should point out, because uh, Rob makes it a fantastic point, because I was actually thinking about this when I was listening to the album this week is also um, should, I shouldn't have said anything about Rob had, because I just lost my camera. Um, what the hell was I saying? Even I don't know, <laughs> but I can blame the drinking. <laughs> uh, you were talking about everything kind of melding. One long song. One so. long song and only like uh, lullaby was. That was, was the one different. song with the tempo difference. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, I lost. It. I'm sorry, people. I really had a good comment to make, and I lost. It. Go on, Rob. Uh, yeah, the other thing, it uh, there's parts of it uh, that uh, that remind me of the Partridge Family for no good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> it just happened. No, I like this one. And like I say, it was uh, these melodies that first uh, caught me. It's not, uh, he doesn't do simple, repetitive. I mean, there's a, there's repetition, but it's not. Uh, oh, you know, not that's simple. not what I was going okay. to say. But you said something about repetition. Uh, a very good point is that he will kind of, you know how people stick titles and then throw it at you for the whole song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His titles are just kind of like hidden in there. And you kind yep. of have to find the title. And I like that. It's smart. It's showing that he's not pandering to make a hit single. And that's a lot of the reason why a lot of songs don't stand out is because a lot of songs at the time. Oh, right. I know what I was going to say. I'll get, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. But but that's, uh, I'll just end that by saying it's not like uh, 
where you get the Bay City Rollers and they sing for the whole song. Saturday yeah, I didn't night. hear any choruses Saturday that constantly night. repeated the, exactly. uh, the title. That's why uh, I feel that there's not. And He's he did this for his second and his third album too. Is that they're not they're not there's no distinguishable course. It's like one flow of the song, and I love that. It's not. It hurts them as far as getting a single out there that does well. Yeah, but the people who did listen to this album. Uh, oh yeah. Damn, they liked it. I forgot they had again. No choice. <laughs> 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 I remember for a second time. I was always going to give you a pen and just to make you write a note down. That's but, uh... so maddening. <laughs> <laughs> I went off in the dawn. I was just like, oh, why did I remember? <laughs> and it had, uh, okay, go on, Rob. Maybe I'm going to remember if you keep on going on again. Uh, sound is there. Sense of melody missing the catch. Uh, where's the kaboom? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> where's the kaboom? <laughs> that sounds like a record man right there. I like your record, but where's the kaboom? Where's the kaboom? There's supposed <laughs> to be an earth-shattering kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> what, would you, uh, what would you give this, Rob? I give it a four. Okay. Like I said, but uh, this is uh, the first week I've ever heard it, and uh, I got uh, three listens. And uh, yeah, it was a, it's a great listen. But it, it, like I say, it's like it's, it it doesn't even though it's fourteen songs, it sounds like uh, one album as uh, a long song. <laughs> oh, it does. It does, and. He... <clears throat> If you ever get a chance to listen to his first and second and third albums, you would find exactly. And I, we actually mean that in a good way. Sometimes it sounds like, oh, it's just one big long song. But we but actually this is mean one that big long good song. It's one big <laughs> long good song, and it's it's actually shows that he's not pandering to to make a hit single. And I just remembered, and I'm going to have to say it now. This album sounds like you have to remember this was released in 1970. This album actually sounds between 73 and 76 to me. Uh, it has more of, um, for some reason, he got more of a contemporary sound out of this. Contemporary, as I mean, further on in the decade. Like, you know, Power Pop was hot in like 33, 33 73 and 74 and 75 and 76. And it just seems like the production is really, it sounds yeah. really 73 to me. And I find that astounding for an album that was recorded actually in very early 1970. And yeah, it uh, doesn't sound like something recorded out of the 60s. Uh, no, uh, just out of coming 70, out of the but... 60s. Yeah, it doesn't. It really doesn't. It really sounds. It really sounds middle 70s. And I think if people heard it, they would understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> and again, that's I see. Thank God I remembered it because if I remember it driving home from the Winchester building, oh. it would have drove me nuts. It would have driven right <laughs> off the road quickly before you. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so Rob gives it a four, I give it a four and a half, and our basic consensus is, uh, you know, if if you got time, listen to Emmett Rhodes, and it'd be really nice if you bought an album if you liked it, because uh, he's deserving of it, and he deserves some peace now, and I think nothing would be better for him than to be remembered for his music, and not for him being uh, a, a hermit for... <laughs> 50 years until he was discovered again or 40 years this album will not piss you off and this album will not this album <laughs> is like not you know what it's like it reminds me of like harry nielsen or like i was saying about the beach boys it's not it's not beach boys like is but it's it's it makes you happy yeah it makes not... and it, and in a world where there's so little happiness this album will cheer you up and it's not sentimental 
It's just intelligent, like that, smart, it, happy. The piano music. and the tambourines and uh, some of the weird sounds. If you come off the press after hearing this, there's something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are very dark. <laughs> Irreparably dark. Yeah, you're dark in your soul, my friend. <laughs> well, that is today's show. And we are, we're we could a little break over a record time. today. A little over time. We might have broken a record today. We'll see. That's the longest show ever. And uh, next week, we will be paying tribute to another musical legend I already told you on the show, to Peter yeah, yeah. Green, the great, magical Peter Green. And um, so I want everybody to tune in next week uh, because that's going to be an important show. It really is. I mean, anytime we do a eulogy show, we really find it even extra important than our usual shows uh, because we do feature artists that mean a lot to us. So uh, so until then, everybody have a great week and stay safe.